0: Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Welcome to KBC. Uh, my name is Jesse. I'm the pastor here. It's good to be with you this morning, to be worshiping. Um, Dave, what an encouragement to hear um, sort of what's been going on for the last couple of weeks. That um, is something to hold, right? Something to hold and take with you. Um, Good to hear. Uh, Chris, thanks for leading that. Chris and I were talking yesterday. Um, as many of you know, I was away for um, most of the week. Uh, Chris um, was saying just welcome back uh, yesterday, was, was asking how, how I was doing, um, sort of knowing the, the, the jet lag that goes, um, goes with traveling. And Chris said, well, at least now you'll know what it's like to fall asleep during one of your sermons like we do. <laughs> so... In the interest of not knowing that, um, today may be a little briefer <laughs> as we jump back into our series in the Gospel of John, a series that we've entitled, Jesus Changes Everything, uh, where we're picking up in John chapter 13. So if you want to turn there in your Bibles, uh, I'd invite you to do just that, uh, John chapter 13, where we'll be looking at verses 1 uh, through to 35. And I want to begin today um, by reading this passage. So, again, if you have a Bible, you're welcome to follow along as I read. Again, from John chapter 13, verses 1 to 35. This is God's Word. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who it was who would betray him. And that was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. And he testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining a table as, at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple leaned back against Jesus, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast. Or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children. For one another let's pray Heavenly Father, thank you um, for the encouragement even of Dave um, coming up and and testifying to precisely this his experience of the love of your people for one of your own. I thank you for that I thank you that we got to be a part of that. We got to pray for him and and see your hand in taking him from death's doorway and bringing him back because this wasn't your time for him. I pray, Lord, seeing from a distance even what he experienced as, as a personal experience of you, I pray even seeing that as a distance that our hearts would likewise be changed to ask, what are we here for? that at least in part, if not the whole, we would see our answer here in this text that we are here to love like you have loved. To fulfill this one command, just as your Son fulfilled the one command that you gave to Him, that He would love us by dying on the cross. I pray we would reflect that in our lives today with one another, and by extension the world around us. I pray in your son's name. Amen. Well, in a monastery in the southern um, part, uh, south of Vienna, in a monastery, there is a a wood carving uh, that I want to use just to introduce uh, this uh, passage today. But it's a wood carving not to do with this passage exactly. It actually depicts a scene from the passage that we looked at last week. And I want to just describe it, um, if for nothing else, than to recall that scene. It's by an Italian sculptor named Giovanni Guiani, uh, much of whose work can be found in and around that town in which that monastery stands. But it's in the abbey, in that monastery, that this particular wood carving is kept. And, And if you were to go there, what you would find is a depiction of Mary. The sister of Lazarus drying the feet of Jesus with her hair. Do you remember the scene from last week? If you were here, Mary, the sister of Lazarus, bending down to dry the feet of Jesus with her hair. This wood carving is a a beautiful rendition of that scene. Emmett's into um, wood carving now, uh, whittling. He's, he's taken up as a hobby. Uh, and Giovanni Guiani is a little bit beyond where Emmett is. Emmett's working on a spoon. And you can almost tell that's what it is. But here it, it, is artistry at its finest with a jar sitting off to the side from which Mary would have drawn the perfume with which she would have anointed Jesus' feet. Yet her attention in this carving, if you, if you look into her eyes, is entirely fixed on the one she anoints. Almost as if she, she is entirely aware that once she looks away, the event that she so much dreads, but in some sense knows she so much needs, will begin to unfold entirely out of her control. She is setting this thing in motion, the anointing of her king. And so her eyes are fixed on Jesus' feet, bending low in honor of the one who would bend even lower for her. And I think think Giovanni Guiani actually saw the connection because just just opposite this this wood carving in this monastery south of Vienna, you'll actually find another where the character bent over is now not Mary, but Jesus. So that the bend in Mary's back, in fact, reflects the bend in Jesus' own. It's a fascinating play, and it's because these two accounts are intimately linked together, and the only thing missing from both is Judas. In the one, looking over Mary's shoulder, scowling, if you remember. That why wasn't this money given to the poor, put into the money bag, as it were, that was so securely bound to his own belt? And then in the other, Judas, who Jesus bent low for as well, but who ultimately refused to bend low in return. The only thing missing is Judas. The contrast, though, this week, we don't want to look at between uh, Judas and Mary. The contrast that we want to look at this week is between Judas and Jesus. As we turn to consider today how Jesus changes servanthood. We've been looking a lot in broad strokes at how Jesus changes life and does so by dying on the cross. And we began last week to look at how Jesus, in a sense, changes death, um, our dying to ourselves. How he changes opposition is what we looked at in particular. That we can die to ourselves. It's not any longer the thing that we have to scramble to escape, but rather is something we can embrace because Jesus embraced death on our behalf. And so we can live our lives dying to ourselves and living for others. Well, here we're going to see that played out even more as we see how Jesus changes servanthood. How Jesus changes servanthood. And we'll see that servanthood far from being, as we so often assume, the lowest form of human existence. The last rung before you you step off the the ladder of life. A posture that's only ever assumed by those who are forced into it. We're going to see that rather servanthood is instead the fullest expression of following Christ. We're going to see it again by looking first at Jesus not only embodies this, but but sets the example for us, and then we'll see it in Judas, as far as he is the antithesis. So first, let's look at Jesus. Remember chapter 12 that that we looked at last week opens with a a Sabbath feast, uh, six days prior to the Passover, on which Jesus would be crucified. Now, we, we pick up the night before on which that Passover feast had begun, but, but rather than focus to begin with, like, like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, on what Jesus said that night, John's more concerned at first to tell us about something Jesus did. And so we're told in the opening verses of chapter 13 that during that meal, Jesus rose from the table, stripped himself of his outer garments, and tied a towel around his waist, and then that he knelt down in, in that day, and there weren't there weren't any Nikes around and that day when 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 everyone had 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 dirt caked into the cracks of their feet. That Jesus then bent down, poured into a basin a bit of water and began to wash the feet of the disciples. Which is pretty baffling, isn't it? This is a pretty astonishing picture, I think. And not least because Jesus is dealing with feet. I don't know, maybe some of us like feet. I actually like Catherine's feet. I don't know if it goes any further than that. I actually don't even know if it, if it extends to my own feet. I was, you know, I was away this week. I was I was walking quite a bit. I actually flew into Amsterdam. Um, I was there about, um, I don't know, 16 hours before my first thing. And I didn't have Catherine. I didn't have the kids. I had a lot of time. I didn't have yet a place to stay. So I just, instead of like hopping on a train or instead of hopping on a bus, I just decided to walk, so I got out of Schiphol Airport south of Am- south of Amsterdam, and I decided to walk into Amsterdam, which was about 10, twelve, probably the route I took, fifteen miles um, into Amsterdam. So a lot of places Catherine and I knew. It was a good. It was good. It was a good walk. It was good. It was just walking, right? It had nothing to do. But my laptop later broke. I really had nothing to do. So I was walking, and partway through, uh, I decided I had walked enough. So I took out the hammock. That brought with me just in case I didn't have a place to stay. And I hunched it up between these two trees in a place called Vondel Park. It's one of the historic um, parks in, in Amsterdam, in the city, um, right there next to all the museums, a very nice place. It wasn't a very nice day, but it's a very nice park. Hooked it up, climbed into this, kicked my shoes off, and I realized that, that I don't like my feet especially after walking. And I was walking the whole day in a pair of socks and a pair of shoes. But look at Jesus. No shoes, no socks. I mean, I had to kick my feet out of the hammock to avoid them. Yet look at Jesus. Don't just breeze past the feet thing. Nobody did this in the ancient world unless you were forced into it. And yet here's Jesus stooping low to deal with the filth of life. To deal with what's most unattractive. This isn't his wife who gets a pass for stuff like this. To deal with the filth of life. It's astonishing. I I think this this is an astonishing thing baffling, that in that day when no one would have willingly stooped so low and only a slave was forced into such servitude, that this is where Jesus goes, that this is what it looked like for him to, as John says, love his own all the way to the end. That this is what he did, as John says, knowing his hour had come, and knowing that that the Father had given all things into his hand. This is not what I would have done if my hour had come. You picture yourself going, walking up to the stage of America's Got Talent or, or Britain's Got Talent. This is not what I would have done when my hour had showed up to justify my existence before the world to show them what i was made of and what i was made for and yet this is what jesus does and he's doing it now because it's an, an interpretation it's the lens through which he wants us to see this night before on what's going to happen the next day that this he was was what he was doing when he went to the cross and it's important to understand that what Jesus does in John, the, the night before Jesus dies, just like what Jesus says in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this is what explains that next day. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it, 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 it's, it's what he says. That's what they focus on this last night. This is my body broken for you. Take and eat. This is my blood poured out for you. Take and drink. But rather than focusing on what Jesus says yet, John focuses first on what Jesus does. But it's, it's the same sort of thing. He says, want to understand the cross? Listen to what Jesus says in the other Gospels. Want to understand the cross here? Look at what Jesus does. So that when Jesus is stripped the next day and hung naked on a, a tree, nailed naked to the cross, we're to understand that He hangs there because He's already stripped Himself on our behalf. That, the, that to clothe the dead in life again, Jesus first allowed Himself to be stripped of the very life He offers to us. What Humility. But don't miss in this, alongside the humility of Christ, that the upside-down nature of this experience required as well a great deal of humility on the part of the disciples. It required it. It necessitated it. It grew it in them. Do you see that? For many of us, serving is one thing. But being served is an entirely different matter. Especially if it's being served by one you should be serving. I remember Catherine and I, our first, um, first place we lived, along with all of our other stories. This is a good one. First place we lived was up at a camp. The camp that we met at, the conference center we met at. We drove up there after our honeymoon together to sort of bed down for the summer and we got there, our keys were available on the desk, but nobody was around, so we, we, we got the keys, we went up to the cabin, we were going to be staying, in, and we found ourselves in this cabin, this, this, this four-walled cabin with a bathroom in the back. Um, the bathroom blocked the back wall, which is a good thing, but all the other three walls were, were glass with no curtains. This was our honeymoon um, sweet. Um, and it was good. We made curtains, we, we got along. But I tell you something about that summer that 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 changed me a bit. Catherine held a position in this camp that was very prestigious. She was the children's director for a couple thousand kids coming through this camp. And now I was a director as well, but not of something so prestigious. I was the director of the book. So Catherine directing the kids program, the, uh, you know, in charge of the eternal salvation, the, the, the souls of the, a thousand, a couple thousand kids, and I was in charge of the, the engines of a couple boats. <laughs> I even remember my title. I was the skipper, <laughs> like Gilligan's Island. I'll tell you something. Coming home greasy and sweaty and sometimes bloody, from whatever I got into those days, coming back to that cabin that we tried to fix up and, and make our home for those few months. It was something else, right, in this, in this relationship. Now, serving my wife to come home, to find her having ran back on her breaks to do the laundry, clean the bathroom, make the bed, to be served by someone I was so convinced I was supposed to be serving. It's, It's a little different, right? It's a little different. It takes humility to serve, but ahead of that, it takes a lot of humility to be served by the one you know you ought to be serving. Which is why we read of this little back and forth with Peter. Lord, do you wash my feet? You do not understand this yet. You shall never wash my feet. If I don't wash your feet, you have no share with me, no part, no partnership, no participation with me. Then not my feet only, but also my my hands and my my head. If you're going to do it, you might as well do it all, right? To which Jesus says, the one who's bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. Why? Because of the basin with which Jesus is washing their feet? No, because the basin looks forward to him being bathed beneath the cross, right? That's what this looks forward to. You are already clean. But it takes humility, right, to swallow that. I would say that's one of the hardest things in Christianity. That you have to give up being the one who's going to do it for yourself. It's one of the hardest things, one of the things we hold most tightly to, I think. But in reality, one of the most difficult parts of our of our side of this this how you interact with God, our take on that, of of looking back to to Jesus saying, You can't do it, I gotta do it for you. And in this context. The humility that it took to allow Jesus to wash their feet, not less than, it's not less than the humility that it would take to be bathed beneath the cross. This is the key to their being servants themselves. And I would suggest this is the key for us. In this context, the humility it takes to be served by Jesus is the key to our being servants ourselves. His humility is the beginning of our humility. This is the point of this passage. That you cannot serve. You will not serve if you are not willing to be served by the one you ought to be serving. So we read in verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You didn't a minute ago. Let me explain it, he says. You call me teacher and Lord and you are right for so I am. If then I, your teacher and Lord, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, if I've stooped to serve you, those who should be serving me, You also ought to serve one another. You also ought to wash one another's feet. And this is the point. The point is this, that Jesus' followers will be known by the bend in their backs. Fascinating that down in that little monastery south of Vienna, That across the hall, the bend in Mary's back is a reflection of the bend in Jesus' own. Jesus' followers will be known by the bend in their backs. For I have given you, Jesus says, an example, a paradigm that you also should do just as I have done. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than the, his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Because this is what servanthood looks like. And it's predicated on the experience of being served. It's, it's no longer the lowest form of human existence but is rather the crown of kings because the king of kings is the one who bowed first. He crowned himself with exactly this. And if you find it hard to serve, to to stoop down and, and do what no one in their right mind would otherwise choose to do, you might have to ask yourself whether you know what it's like to be served. And I don't mean by those who you think, ought to be serving you. I mean if you know what it's like to be served by the one you ought to be serving. Do you know the level to which Jesus stooped? Is the bend in your back reflecting His You might not know what it's like to be served by the one you should be serving. If you got a problem with humility, my guess is you haven't learned the humility that comes by being served by Jesus. And that's what I guess about myself when I'm struggling with humility too. We see in this passage that servanthood is the fullest expression of following Christ. We see it first in Jesus as he lays it out, puts the example on the table, because it's a reflection of of how he served us. But we see it second in Judas, because Judas is the antithesis of this. Not because he stooped to serve. We don't see it in Judas because he stooped to serve, but precisely because he wouldn't. Uh, Judas's Judas' betrayal is at the very heart of this passage. It's, it's mentioned as early as verse 2, right? You see that? And along the way, Judas is mentioned as the foil for everything Jesus is talking about. The disciples are, are clean, but not every one of them, for Jesus knew, verse 11, who was to betray him. Again, Jesus says something similar in verse 18. And now again in verse 21, after saying these things, it says, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. But I want to suggest to you today that this is in here. The the, the account of Judas is in here, not because it just happened that night and John had to find a way to put these things together but because John is telling a story and he means you to read the betrayal of Judas in connection to what he's just presented you with in the bending of Jesus' back. These are meant to be read as two opposites, two poles, so that Judas' betrayal is actually supposed to be understood in terms of servanthood. Here is a guy who isn't willing to serve anyone but himself. This is what it looks like to not even be willing, though Jesus bent down and washed his feet, to not even be willing to accept that. Here is a guy who wants to serve nobody but himself. And eventually, Jesus marks the man. He marks the man. One of you will betray me. And he eventually marks the man by giving him a piece of his bread. Because back in verse 19, Jesus said, The scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. And it's a quotation from, from Psalm 41. It's where David, who, who wrote the psalm, reflects on, on those who had set themselves against him. Against the Lord's anointed and against his reign and against the God who had anointed him. Those who had gone so far as to take his house and take his bread and sleep with his woman. And then set David fleeing for his life. Jesus now takes that psalm and he says it has been fulfilled in Judas everything that it had talked about, that it's been fulfilled in Judas. Not because it was a prediction, but saying that what they did, you're doing to me. Saying what they did to David, you Judas, have done to me. And what's what's at the heart of it? That you're not willing to follow me in serving others because you're too busy just serving yourself. What a difference, right? From the servanthood of Jesus. This guy had walked with him for three years. This guy had been with him. Watched all of the signs. Seen all of the miracles. Traveled all the roads. And yet at the end of it, wasn't willing to reflect the bend in Jesus' back in the bend in his own. Let me suggest though, as I just bring this to us today, that as much as this is about our bending low in, in how we serve, in, 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 how we, in what we do for others, the meals that we prepare, the care that we give, the, 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 the things that we do, right? As much as this is about that, this isn't just about that. This is about what we do on the inside. This is about you and me. This is about us as a family here. But it's not just about bending down and washing each other's feet, washing each other's car, washing each other's kids, washing each other's anything. It's not just that. This is more about getting into the filth of each other's lives. That's not easy. Makes it a little bit more understandable why Judas ran the other way. But that's what this is about. Jesus doesn't wash their feet because he's really concerned about them having clean feet. Maybe a little bit. But not really, right? He washes their feet as an illustration of what he's going to do the next day by bathing them beneath the cross. And when he says you ought to go and do likewise, he's not meaning, like some have taken this, that we set up another thing we do on Sundays. I was going to invite the elders forward, put up the basin, say, all right, we'll wash everybody's feet, right? But that's not what Jesus means. He means for us to get into the filth of each other's lives, he means for us to be willing. to die to ourselves at that level, to know each other at that level, and to be okay with it, not like so much of our pop, our, our pop songs these days sing, right? No, I'm, I, I couldn't believe walking through Amsterdam the songs that were being played in the tourist shops. I was on the hunt for a mug for Catherine. She had one mug, she wanted another mug. We got there a long time ago. I was looking for the match for this mug. In and out of these tourist shops. Ridiculous amount of time trying to find this mug. I could not believe the songs playing over, over the radio. Walked into this one, song, this one store. This sweet older couple sitting at the desk. You know, it must have been their store. But some young kid must have got a hold of the radio dial because they put it to all this American pop music. And it's really just garbage. I haven't listened to it in a while. But it's really just garbage right? One of the ones that came over that's not as bad as all the others, and and what I mean by bad is just explode. One of the ones that came over was the song by Bruno Mars, Grenade. You've heard it? It's a pop song. It's been recently at the top of the charts. It goes like this. I'd catch a grenade for you. I'd catch a grenade for you. Throw my head on a blade for you. I'd jump in front of a train for you. You know, I'd do anything for you. I would go through all this pain, take a bullet straight through my brain. Yes, I would die for you, baby. But you won't do the same. No, no, no. You won't do the same. This is our conception of what it means to love one another. I'll do it all. I'll do anything I need to just to get you in bed. And yet, what do they do the next morning? They run to the next one. What do they do? The next week, they run to the next one. Why? Well, I'd suggest that it's because our our contemporary conception of what it means to love one another has no place for getting into the filth of life. There's no commitment beyond that. We're not ready. We are not ready to see marriage, relationship, the church for what it's meant to be of dealing with us in our darkest places. And the world can't do it. And yet this is what Jesus is saying it's all about. I'm going to the cross to deal with the darkest side of life. And you ought to do likewise. But there's only one way we will, if we know him as the one who did it first. Pray that we would Heavenly Father, I ask. Um, I ask that seeing the cross as we get closer to the cross. Now, the night before the cross, that when we get there, we would see what it is, what you've done, that our mouths would be stopped. That our hearts would be strengthened. That we, in seeing what you've done for us, would reflect that in our own lives and what we do for one another. I pray even today, as we, as we go from here, um, for, for whoever we're with, for whoever you put in our path, that we would be ready to, to wash them. Not, 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 not their feet. To wash each other with the Word the truth, to not just uncover the filth, but to deal with it in front of the Gospel. pray that you would teach us humility, that we wouldn't be like Judas, running to serve only ourselves, but I pray you would teach us to serve you, to serve your Son, to serve your people in the way that you did for us. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. One of my favorite films is um, the 1997 film, Life is Beautiful. Anybody seen it? Story of Guido, a young Jewish guy trying to survive uh, the horrors of World War II and doing so with his wit and winsomeness. One of my favorite exchanges in the film is between Guido and his uncle, Alessio. Uh, Alessio runs a restaurant and Guido can't find any more work and so he ends up working for Alessio. And it, it comes out how inept Guido is at serving one day, especially uh, when Guido is trying to convey to Alessio that he understands the proper way to bow, starting at 45 degrees, going down to 90, eventually going further than I can bow. To which Alessio uh, informs him of the proper way, saying this Think of a sunflower. They bow to the sun, but if you see some that are bowed too far down, it means they're dead. You're here serving, you're not a servant, he says. Serving is the supreme art. God is the first of those who serve. God serves men, but he is not a servant of them. There's a sense in which I expect Alicia's right. But from our passage today, from these chapters that we've looked at, or from their depiction in the carving by Giovanni Guiani. It seems that at least in Jesus, that's exactly what he was. He took on the form of a servant to put the the paradigm in place but only as God the Son carrying out the commandment that's been given to Him by the Father to die on our behalf, to offer life to those who are only dead by doing what only God could do and so providing us simultaneously with the power for us to follow. Pray you would go knowing Jesus, our servant King. Amen. Amen. Amen.